thanks, David, for leading us. Uh, David sent a message this morning saying his throat was sore, and I was still hoping that he would lead and uh, we would be entertained by a squawk, but he did really well. It was really disappointing, David. I was waiting to be entertained, but you did. Uh, you led us well. Thank you. Joanne, Adam, Paul, thank you. Uh, so good to worship together. Um, I've said this the last two weeks, and you, you need to forgive me. The, the introduction to this, the introduction the last two weeks, we still, I still feel like we've just been introducing uh, the last two weeks, and that's maybe why it's been a wee bit longer. I promise you that they're not going to be as long as they've been the last two weeks. So the cl- collective sigh of relief across the, the, the building. Um, yeah, so we're in the book of Judges. Uh, anybody that hasn't uh, been here, uh, I don't want to don't want to spend a big I don't want to spend a lengthy amount of time recapping. Um, I would encourage you to uh, to listen, follow along in the, in what we've already what we've already shared over the last two weeks on SoundCloud or whatever uh, other outlets that I don't know of, but I'm sure are available. Um, so on your on your uh, on some of your sheets, there was uh, a bit of paper. For those of us that were at uh, the home group a couple of weeks ago, um, we gave out a book. There is still some of those books down at the back. Uh, there's the beautiful assistant displaying our uh, our books. And so if you if you even if Wednesday nights isn't the best night for you, if you know that. Uh, it is a, it's hard for you to commit to Wednesday nights. Um, I'd still really encourage you that you would take that you would take one of those books. You would take the sheets of paper on Sunday mornings and follow along with this as best as we can. Uh, and so, if you're able to, just stick those questions in your book. And the, the, the questions there are not not to not to uh, not to fix your attention on them this morning necessarily. But just so that you know, that's where we'll be going. That's some of the things that we want to really pull out on Wednesday morning, or sorry, Wednesday night, uh, from from today and from last Sunday. So, uh, so just so that you have them, uh, and please follow along. We want to we want to learn in this together. Our heart behind this is not just to do a Bible study for the sake of it. It's so that we will engage with this together. It's so that the word of God would come alive, and uh, and I think that happens whenever it's it's alive in us, not just for uh, thirty or forty minutes on a Sunday morning, but actually throughout the week and for this series throughout the the months. Um. So yeah, please uh, please take one of those and stick them into your books if you have some print stick. Stick them into your book and. Uh, journey along with us together. So, if I can, just uh, just to uh, summarise. Let me just summarise wh- how we finished last Sunday morning. Uh, if you know me, that I, if I have ever find, if I ever have, uh, if there's ever any alliteration in my Sunday sermons, it's accidental. Uh, not as smart as dad. Dad can get 
Dad can pull four R's or four S's or four T's out of anything. Uh, so usually if I have ends up with a couple of R's, it's, I've usually stumbled across it. And so last Sunday we summarized, our, uh, we summarized the message by, by saying, presenting four R's. And uh, mainly I seen the first two. It was like beginning with R, right? Two more points beginning with R and this will be great. Remember was the first point to summarize last Sunday. Remember. Because what we were saying, and, and, and taking a wee bit from my own experience, that, that often a failure to obey is a failure to remember. Uh, and that was the case for the next generation. The first generation, Joshua's generation, had served the Lord and followed in the ways, took, took hold of the possession, and actually Joshua died, taking hold of his inheritance. He died in the land of his inheritance. Beautiful verse. And... Um, and, but then the second generation came and did not follow in the ways of their father. And it's not that they hadn't heard the story. It's just that the no, it no longer became precious to them. They, they just no longer remembered in such a way that it, that it gripped their lives, that it, that it shifted their priorities. And so we were saying that we want to remember. And oftentimes I, I, I forget. forget how good he's been. And I love how David led us this morning. Just remember, Father, just thank you for, thank you for what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for the cross. That's the reason why we're here today. It's the reason why we worship. It's the reason why we open our Bibles and gather around it. What do you want to say? Because of what he's done. And, uh, and we want to be people that remember. It's often a failure to obey is a failure to remember. We, we talked about removing idols. Uh, we, t- we, we spoke into this idea of, of divided heart worship. That's what had begun to happen in the next generation. They, they, their, their, their worship was divided between God and between the other gods that were, were local and part of the, the community that they'd ended up coexisting with. And, uh, and so it's not that they completely ignored God and walked away from him, that they didn't believe in his existence, but they were, were now coexisting with idols. They, worship, they were worshiping God, dividing their heart worship between God and and stuff, and so we were inc- we were challenging each other that we would remove those idols, remove those things that cause us, uh, that cause our heart worship to be divided. We spoke about reliance, rely on Him only. Uh, the next generation began to look at the enemy's strength, and they were so intimidated by the enemy's strength that they began to retreat. They began to compromise, and uh, and we spoke about relying on Him, relying on Him only. His his faithfulness is enough. His love is enough. His goodness is enough. His grace is enough. And then the, the fourth thing was uh, live what you want to see replicated, re- replicated. And um, and so we're ch- we, that 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 seems to be the thread that's come up the last couple of weeks. And I think we'll f- that will continue to, to 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 be a theme as we go through this study. Is that. Uh, we are provoking ourselves with what is it that we truly want for the next generation. Because I could stand here and give a really nice answer, a really good, godly, sound answer of what I want for my children and what I want for the peers around me, what I want for the younger generation, and, and give a really good answer. But what I'm doing, what I'm doing to put that into reality is not, not, is not often marrying up. And so this thought has has probably consumed me over the last couple of months just outside of reading through Judges, just in general. What, what do I want for the next generation? What do I want for those that are in this, my sphere of influence? And so I want to begin to, 
to challenge myself that I would live a life that I want to see replicated. So there's summary, summary, summarizing a wee bit of last, last Sunday and probably picking up a few things that we spoke about even the Sunday before. So as I've said, but we want to we want to we want to study this together. We want to read it together. We want to uh, fully engage. And so I've been, although the passages are quite lengthy, this is uh, not as lengthy today. But I'd love us that we would that we would open our Bibles, that we would um, read uh, Judges chapter three. I want to start in verse seven, and uh, and we'll go to thirty-one. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim. Just to say, I am going to start sharing out the, the passages to read on Sunday. I'm not going to read them all. But just re- I realized the first three, I'm not going to put that on to anybody to have to read some of this. So just so you know. Uh, into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaz. There's an easy one. Caleb's younger brother who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the, ha- the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Canaz, died. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and and they took possession of the city of Palms. Some of your versions will will say maybe say Jericho, took possession of Jericho, the city of Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, Moab for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to, to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent uh, on their way, the men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, Quiet, and all his attendants left him. Ehud then uh, approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Hope this doesn't put you off your dinner. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out of his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went to the, out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And after he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper, upper room locked, and they said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them, and they saw their Lord fallen to the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols and escaped to Syrah. And when he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. 
and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they ordered him down and taken possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel and the land of peace for 80 years. Final verse. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Reading through that uh, chapter, I'm sure there's some questions that that come to mind that I will probably not and probably not even able that to answer. There's two or three things in this story that I felt over the week that would be really important for us to to think about, really important for us to challenge ourselves with. After two chapters, after two Sundays, we've finally got to the to who the the book is named after the judges, and we're going to be introduced to twelve different judges. Uh, over the next number of weeks. In one chapter, we've got the first three, Othniel, Eud, and Shamgar. And, uh, and just to point out, it's, it's, it, it so ranges. You get the, you get the, like the story of Gideon and Samson, like 100, 100 verses, maybe less or more, in around 100 verses. And then you get the poor Shamgar, and he only gets one verse. And barely just gets a mere mention we talked about, we mentioned uh, Othniel in the first week, the, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. And this is, this is the, the recognizable deliverer. This is the readily recognizable hero, Othniel. We've already been introduced to him in Judges chapter 1, verse 12 and 14. A man who was ready for battle, a man who was ready to take land that, uh, land that belonged to him, take take hold of his inheritance. And he's the model judge. And the first, the first encounter we have with the first judge is almost, is almost like the, the perfect model of what would, would take place. We don't see it in every, in every other uh, in account of each one of the judges. But here we see this uh, pattern of the Israelites did evil. They served the gods the other gods, the Baals and the Asherahs. And then they began to cry out. And because, because they served other gods, God gave them over to their enemy, essentially giving them what they want. If that's what you want, okay, gives them over. But then they begin to cry out. They begin to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord hears, and he sends a deliverer. He sends a deliverer, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the deliverer, upon the judge, and he goes to war and he takes and sets the people free, overpowers the enemy, and the land has peace for 40 years. That's the, that's the ideal pattern. And we, uh, we don't always see it. Unfortunately, it's hard to say, but Othniel's the model judge and it's all downhill from there. I'm hoping that that's not said of these Sunday mornings that, well done today, Neil, all downhill from there. Hopefully, that will not be the case. But Othniel, um, Othniel is the model judge. And there's just one thing that, that I really felt the Lord stir in my heart this morning as I read through the chapter once, once again this morning. And it was that last line. It was, this, it was that final, it was the conclusion of, 
uh, the, the story of uh, Othniel and Ehud. At the end of both of their accounts, it says that the land had peace for 40 years in Othniel's case and 80 years in the case of Ehud. And I just felt the Lord just really provoked me with the idea that there, there was there's a danger to oppression. This is what this is what the the theme throughout each one of the accounts and the judges the the people became oppressed. They became oppressed, and they cried out, and the Lord came and rescued them. We think that's often we come and we we're longing for prayer because we just feel like we're running on empty. We're we've come for prayer because we're really struggling. We're coming to prayer because we can't overcome addiction or we can't overcome a certain situation. But I just felt the Lord remind me that there is also a danger to success. And so, and so essentially that's what they experienced for a period of time after each one of these judges. They experienced a, a time of success and a time of peace. And I don't know about you, but there's, those are the times where we can become so complacent. Those are the times where we, where we can it almost, for some reason, we find it harder to rely we find it harder to worship him alone. We find it really difficult because things are going well. And, uh, and so that thought just provoked me this morning. And, and I just think it's worth just, just dropping it in there for anyone that things are going well. It's not a time to sit back. Things are going well. It's not a time to, to take your foot off the pedal. It's not a time to, to, uh, to pull back in your times of prayer, not a time to pull back in your study of the word, it's time to keep saying, God, I, I real, I'm, I'm, I'm even more reliant on you today than I was when things were at their worst, I'm even more dependent upon you today, I'm even more in need to worship you and you alone because I could be so distracted by my own, by my own success, I could be so distracted by the peace, I could be so distracted by, and you want to still enjoy those times, please don't hear me not and me saying anything other than enjoy those times, enjoy the times of peace, celebrate the success, but never f- take your attention off of him. Uh, really quickly, this is—I don't—I don't—I don't think uh, this is going to be a big thing that that we follow throughout the book of Judges. But just find it interesting that uh, that that as we follow the the lineage of the sh- of many of the judges. It almost seems to fall into line with the pattern of Judges chapter 1. And so this is sort of an aside because I don't know how significant it, it is or how significant it will be. But let me just point it out. Othniel was the first judge. And he was a, we were told that he's a descendant of Judah. And that's who first goes to take the land in Judges chapter 1. The Lord was with the men of Judah. Ehud, uh, we're told, is a Benjamite. And in Judges chapter 1, verse 21, after the, the mention of the men of Judah, we have the Benjamites who failed to dislodge the Jebusites. And then we get the Shamgar. And we know very little of Shamgar. And this is where the theory might, might fall down. But just thought it was interesting just to point it out uh, that Shamgar uh, probably was a Hittite. Because he was, they reckon that he was a son of a mixed Israelite Canaanite relationship, because Amath was a was a was a Canaanite goddess, and uh, and so so they think that he was a Hittite. He was a, he was the son of a mixed Israelite Canaanite marriage, and uh, 
they are the next people that we are introduced to in the Judges chapter 1. He then went to the land of the Hittites. Uh, so just to, just to point that out, just if you, want, you wanted to take note, you thought it was worth taking note, taking note of that. Um, one thing that is that comes out of the story of Othniel and Ehud especially is that the people cried out to the Lord. The people cried out to the Lord. And, and so I want to I wanna make the point that repentance is crucial for renewal and restoration. We've talked at the very beginning how that one of the themes throughout this study would be the, the continual need the continual need for spiritual renewal. And, and repentance is, is key to that. Repentance is crucial for renewal and restoration. But when they cried out, he raised up for them a deliverer. And again, the Israelites cried out and the Lord gave them a deliverer. That's why I so appreciated a couple of Saturdays ago when we, when we, uh, when we joined with thousands of people to, to worship together, but also to pray together. In, at Nuts Corner at the It's Time event. And I thought it was significant that, that uh, we were led in a prayer of repentance. David Legg wonderfully led us in a prayer of, of repentance. And I just thought it was a significant moment because we're crying out, we're longing for revival, and we, pray, we sing all the good songs, the incredible Robin Mark song of revival, and we, we speak it, we get excited about it, we're longing for it, we're believing that we can be a part of a day where, where restoration begins to play out, where reconciliation is the norm, where renewal is what we live in, revival is what we live in. And often we, we forget that repentance is crucial for that. Repentance is key for renewal and restoration. I really appreciated last Sunday night. Last Sunday night we had our, our construction time, this time of just longing to come together to build each other up. And, uh, and Amy led us in a time where we just got on our own and, and just were with the Lord. What is it that we want to pray for, for ourselves? And what is it that we want to pray? What situation do we want to pray for? And then we got into twos and threes and began to, to just to pray for one another in, in those moments. And I really appreciated the, the joy of praying with Melissa and Peter. And, uh, and I just was really reflecting on that that night and, and even the day after. It felt like it felt really important, and I don't know what else went on in the other twos and threes, but for us, I felt it was it was a wonderful picture of repentance. It was a wonderful picture of something that we've talked about before. That in First John, uh, John writes that we would confess our sins to God because He's faithful and just to forgive. And we've and we've said before that we confess the importance of confession because. We need forgiveness. We need to find right relationship with God. But then James tells us at the end of chapter 5 that confess your sins to one another so that you will be healed. Confess your sins to one another so that there will be that, uh, that, there will be that restoration that will begin to be putting things right. And, there was one of, and it was just in the, those moments that, that uh, listening to Peter pray after we shared some of the things together that we wanted to pray for that he, it almost it was a prayer that you could hear, you could sense a sigh of relief. It's like, God, thank you that I've just been able to finally say this. Finally, thank you that I've just been able to get this out in the open. And that became the prayer of his heart, and it was a beautiful moment, I found, because I just think that he, 
he, Father, is so attracted to humility. He's so attracted to humility. And so when we come, even in times of, of oppression and struggle or in times of peace, when we come, we just, God, I need you, rely on you, I long for you, my, my heart and my flesh cry out to you, the living God, as the psalmist said. There is something that, that he is attracted to. He's attracted to that level of humility. He's attracted to our acknowledgement that we need him. But to push that a wee bit further, he is also attracted when, to the acknowledgement that we need each other. He's attracted to humility, and humility is seen in how, in how we acknowledge our need for him, but how we acknowledge our need for each other. And I just felt like it was, that's what went on, that, that if we want to see one another come alive, if we want to see one another renewed and restored, then repentance is crucial. Confessing to him is the ultimate, but confessing to one another, begin to lay it all out so that others can help us journey through that is really important. It's really significant. And that is a big thing. It's a big thing, a big takeaway from today. Repentance, it's crucial. Confessing to him and confessing to him for forgiveness, confessing to each other, to one another for healing. I want that to be a takeaway, but my main, the main thing I want to spend the next, finish off in the last 10 or 15 minutes, finishing off with um, what, what got my attention uh, was the story of Ehud. I just felt... I thought and prayed about it over and over throughout the week. This is where I wanted to land our thoughts this morning. Because Eod, the lesson, it's a lesson of surprise. This is a lesson of the unexpected. And I want to just get, I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be gross, but I want to get this out of the way because the, the my version, I don't know, just in case your version is different from mine, the NIV and it's notorious, notoriously polite. It's acknowledged that the NIV has been incredibly polite whenever it, it gives the account of what happened. I just want to say this because I, I do want to mention it, but I, wanna, I almost want to get it out of the way. We're told that the, the, how, how it was originally translated, the NIV have tidied it up a wee bit, is that where well, there's teenage boys here. But he stuck the knife in and... Somebody give me a polite word for poo. Excrement, feces. Came out. And so it's why whenever the it's why whenever the uh, it's why whenever the attendants came to the door the smell was that bad, they thought he was relieving himself, they thought he was at the toilet and uh, and so so they left him. So that's that's what the translation if you want to know what the original translation says, that's what it says. And uh, not that that's important, not that that's significant, but just so that you know, the Bible leaves nothing out. The Bible is more than comfortable with the, with the gory. It's more than comfortable with the, un, with the uncomfortable. And, uh, and so that's what happens in the story. That is quite surprising. That's quite unexpected. It's an unexpected method of delivering the people. Uh, first of all, it's an unexpected enemy. And it's, I'm not saying that the Moabites and the... And, and God's people were, were, were by any means friends. They weren't, but they were like nominal enemies. There was never any real tension. There was never any real war. In fact, the Moabites were descendants of Lot. And so they weren't, they weren't friends. They were, they were enemies, but it was really quite nominal. It was, quite ne- it was, it was negligible. It was 
just they weren't a big deal, and so it was a surprise. I think it was un, it was an unexpected enemy. It was an unexpected threat. It was a threat that came out of nowhere, and it was a threat that actually came out of nowhere and it humiliated them, because they came and they took possession of Jericho. Jericho was the first great success that the children of Israel had. In Joshua chapter six, you'll read of the story of of taking the city of Jericho. This was their first great success, and. And, they, and so they come, this unexpected enemy comes, the unexpected threat comes and takes the, takes the city where they'd first uh, crossed into the promised land, first entered, and it was their first great success. So we have an unexpected enemy. And it's also worth saying that Ehud was not the obvious hero. Othniel was an obvious hero. He was a man ready for battle. He was a man ready to go to war. He was the he was the readily recognizable hero in the story, and we get to Ehud. And whenever it says in verse fifteen of, of Judges chapter three that Ehud was a left handed man, this was a this was a Hebrew idiom. It was a Hebrew expression. So for example, we we say we use you've bitten off more than you can chew. I don't know how this is going to translate for the non-English, but we've, we say that we've bitten off more than we can chew, meaning that we've taken on more than we can handle. It's like, a, it's like an expression that we use. And here, whenever this is used, it's, just, it's an expression. Whenever it's mentioned as a left-handed man, it's an expression for a man who is bound or restricted in his right hand. A man who is bound or restricted in his right hand. And so if you're to cast your eye across across the potential people that could rescue the people of God. Here is a man who is, whatever it looks like, whatever is wrong, whatever, however he is incapacitated, whatever this disability is, he is restricted. He is bound in his right hand. So it's not an obvious hero. It's an unexpected, it's an unexpected deliverer. It's an unexpected deliverance. And it's not the typical villain. And as I mentioned, Othniel is the, is the model example. It's almost the perfect example of what should happen. But already we get to the story of Eod and he breaks the mold. Eod breaks the mold. We see the unexpectedness of God's saving methods. So we've seen the Spirit of the Lord come upon Othniel and he went and faced the enemy head on, took them on, overpowered them and they landed peace. Then we have this, it's this unexpected method. The story of, it almost seems deceitful. He would come pretending to bring a tribute, to pretending to bring a gift. And when everybody else leaves the room, he, uh, he takes the life of the king. It seems deceitful. It seems like he's cheated his way to victory. It's really unexpected. And, uh, and he probably wouldn't have even been allowed near the king but even looking upon him, thought, well, he's no threat. He's no threat. What's he going to be able to do? He's bound. He's restricted in his right hand. He's not going to be any threat to the king. And so they let him in and allow him. The king leaves him alone because even the king sees no threat. And they have no idea that it's down to his right thigh that he has the knife and he draws it from there. It's an unexpected, it's an unexpected method. And just where that's concerned... Uh, I just love to say and celebrate that 
we get to read some incredible reports come in from the, the partners that drop and have around the world and have the privilege of reading through and uh, communicating with the people that on the ground seeing God's most, the incredible way that God is moving. Getting a message from Sonny in India and uh, Homero in Egypt and seeing the unexpectedness of God's saving methods. Because we've created a, the expectation here for us is that we get unsaved people to the professional gospel preacher, the professional evangelist, and let them preach a sermon and let them walk the aisle and let them pray the sinner's prayer and asking Jesus into your heart. And I don't want to dismiss that. But sometimes we get so consumed with that being the expected way that whenever we hear the unexpected, it jars with us. We don't know what to do with it. But across the world today, God is saving people through dreams. He's saving people through visions. He's saving people through the most incredible, uh, visible encounters. He's, in, he's saving people in the most unexpected methods. And I love it. And I long to celebrate it. And I long for more of it. And I long to see it here. I long to see the mold being broke here. I long to see our expectations being jarred with a little bit. See, the challenge for me and what I want to what I want to suggest to you is we love formula. We love formula. We love do X, do Y, and you get Z. We love it. We love formula. But we get to the story of Ehud, and I think that's why it so caught my attention, because there, there is none. Get to this realization there is no formula. God, if you could just if you could just tell me the X and the Y, I'll be able to. We'll be able to do the Z, and 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 we don't see him give a formula. There's no expected, uh, perfect way to do it. And I think it's really important. And this is what Michael Wilcox says. He says, as if God is saying, "This is what I intend to do for you, and this is how you perhaps expect me to do it." Now, you may pin me down as to the ultimate object because that I have promised. But you will also want to pin me down as to the method because you love things manageable and predictable. Well, maybe that's not the case for you all. And if that's not you, forgive me for saying that we love it and bringing you in on the way. Forgive me, but just go with me on it. We love predictability. We love to be able to control, to be able to manage, to be able to know what's happening next, to be able to expect what's happening next. And David has already, I think he did, he's not, I think David quoted from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, speaking of, of the one who would come, speaking ultimately of Jesus. We're told in, in 53, uh, in those first few verses, we could read it all, but in, in the second and third verse, it tells us that there was no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. It told us that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And we're told that he was despised and he was rejected by men. And so like Ehud, Ehud defeated his enemies through, his, through weakness, just like Jesus. Along throughout this whole series, we just keep drawing our attention to Jesus. And through weakness, Jesus defeated his enemy. Jesus defeated our enemy through weakness. 
See, it's almost like we read the story of Othniel and we're, we're drawn into that. We love that. We love the story of Othniel because here it is. It's like Hollywood. It's like the Hollywood version and Jesus' victory would not come in a Hollywood way. Jesus' victory would not come in a Hollywood way. It would come, he would come as an outsider. He would come as one rejected. He would come in the most, uh, most unexpected way. It was completely unexpected. His method of saving his people was completely unexpected. God's method was unexpected and his message was unexpected. That, that he would come in, in all humility, taking on the form of a flesh, of flesh, identifying with us, living among us, tabernacling, dwelling among us. And his message was for everybody. That it was so unexpected. The Pharisees couldn't believe it. And how he did it was unexpected. They thought he was going to come almost like an Othniel type figure. He was going to come and hear the cries of his people and swoop down with some sort of cape and, and defeat all his enemies and, and be victorious. And he would restore the kingdom of Israel as the, as the disciples asked him in the beginning of Acts. Now is the time you're going to restore. Now is the time where this has all been a bit unexpected what you've done, how you've offered the message of forgiveness and reconciliation to everybody. That's not what we were expecting. Your message was unexpected and your method was unexpected. And so this is my final point. What kingdom advance are we missing out on because we are waiting for a formula? What kingdom advance are we missing out on because uh, we are waiting for the way that we think that it should be done? What could we be missing out on? just gripped me this last few days. What kingdom advance are we missing out on because we're waiting for the right formula. We're waiting for it to be done in the way that we expect it to be done. And can I push it even further? Who are you dismissing? Who are you dismissing because they don't look the way that you expect them to look. They haven't come from the place that you expect them to come from. They don't dress or behave the way that you expect them to behave, and so we dismiss them. And I say this boldly, and I try to say it with all humility, how dare you? How dare we? And we read, as we read through, we read through the Bible, and we're gripped over and over again by ones that we would, that we would so often dismiss today. We'll find out Samson was a womanizer, We'll find out that Elijah was suicidal. We'll find out that Job was a bankrupt. Joseph was abused. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was too young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Zacchaeus was small and money-hungry. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Paul persecuted Christians and then became one. How dare we dismiss people because they don't come dressed up in the way that we expect them to be dressed up. They don't come conforming to, to the image that we have somehow created in our minds. And this has so gripped me that I'm aware, I almost hate being as bold as that, but that I'm, I'm passionate about this because I, I find myself the, more, the most times over the last couple of weeks I've had to ask for forgiveness is at times where I've dismissed people. 
And I just fear that I end up missing out in kingdom advance because that's who he's going to use. That's where it's going to come from. In the most unexpected places with the most unexpected people. And so... Let me finish reading what Paul says and then I'm done. First Corinthians 1. Twenty six to twenty nine. Just read those few verses and then the guys can come and finish finish off. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so no one may boast before him so father uh it feels like there's so much more to say but god i just want to i don't want to keep going round and round in circles along and that by your spirit you would catch our attention with what could we be missing out because we're waiting for it to come in an expected way who could we be missing out on you using because they don't look the part because they don't do things the way that we do things and god we just pray that you would help us you would grant us with the gift of discernment you would grant us with the, the, the ability God just to see who you see you would grant us God with the ability to, to think outside of the predictable patterns that we've allowed ourselves to be consumed by God we thank you that today you're saving people in the most unexpected ways thank you that today you're using the most unexpected people to, to do the most incredible things and God we acknowledge that and we take hold of that and we honor you and bless you and love you be a people that would serve you and keep on giving our yes to you in Jesus name